Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. We're going to go back to the book of Jonah tonight and pick up where we left off from the last time. We looked at the first couple of verses of the book of Jonah and kind of uh, began this study looking at this. We're, what we're trying to do is, is to look a little deeper into the life of Jonah. All of us, of course, as I mentioned last time, are familiar with the story of Jonah. All of us kind of know what went on in his life and that kind of thing. But a lot of times we get mesmerized by the the big fish story. We get kind of uh, uh, captivated by the, the fact of, of... It's just like if you went fishing and you came home and you had that picture you know where they got the big fish hanging up by a winch and they're standing there beside it and and going like this saying you look at that or or the pictures of the bass fishermen that have got a big fish in their hands and it's you know like this and and it proves that you know the big fish story is true and all that kind of thing we we kind of get caught up in the aspect of the fact that uh, this is a big fish story, but we really miss so much of the the story that uh, I like to take time to slow down a little bit. And we uh, we looked at it at just the very beginning of it last week, and and we were uh, honed in on the idea the and the understanding of the fact that Jonah was running because he didn't want what we all want. We all want the fact that, look, this this really is a, it, if you boil it down to it, it's not a story about a, a man who gets swallowed by a fish. It's a story about a God who loves all, who has grace for all, has mercy for all. Jonah, in his zeal for God, uh, didn't want God's love to be shared with the Ninevites. He he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew that if God if God's word was preached to Nineveh, if he went and look, this is not a uh, uh, a boost of of Jonah's uh, ego saying, well, if I go, it's not like he's thinking of himself in terms of Billy Graham. You know, he's not saying, hey, I'm such a wonderful preacher. I'm such a wonderful evangelist. If I go to Nineveh and preach like God wants me to, then they're all going to turn. He knows that if the message of God is delivered, then, then then those people will hear the mercy and grace of God and they'll turn their hearts. And he's doing everything in his power to keep that from happening. Why? Because of his own prejudice in his heart. And listen to me. Listen to me. There's a lot of Christians that are battling the same battle that Jonah has within him. There's a lot of people that they want to do good for God. They just don't want to do good for those people for God. There was a church that I was uh, invited to go and and uh, sit down and discuss with the possibility of becoming their pastor towards the end of my uh, time at seminary and 
and I had put out my resume all over and, and a church in Mississippi called and wanted me to come and and to uh sit down with them and so we arranged for them to uh to sit down with me during our break in thanksgiving and we were planning on coming from all the way from texas back to north carolina to uh, uh, visit family and so we said well we'll come through we have to go through mississippi anyway we'll just kind of make a a dog leg and go up and visit y'all at your church on the way through and and they offered to give us a, a, a hotel room for the night so that we'd uh, be able to break up. That's a that's a trip that's a two-day trip unless you got two or three people driving to, uh, to take it continuously. And and so we all, we usually broke it up into two days. And so that, that was a blessing that they offered to put us up and, and uh, uh, that way we could go and visit family but also do this. And so we went through uh, Mississippi and we saw parts of Mississippi that uh, normally you don't want to see parts of. I mean, uh, uh, Vicksburg is poor, but this was outside of Vicksburg, and it was even poorer. I mean, it was just, whew, it was it was tough. It was, uh, this was an area where most of the people lived on levees, and, and guess what? This was right after uh, the water of the Mississippi River crested the levees and, and flooded everybody. And so these were people that had nothing before the, the floods came, and then the floods came and they had even less. And so, uh, <clears throat> but that didn't stop me from going. We went and visited with them, and they took me around in their van to show me the community. And I asked them, please share with me. Uh, where folks in the church live, where's your ministry feel? Where is it that you see God using this church to minister? Where's your community? Where are the people that you minister to? And they were driving us around and they were showing us, well, so-and-so lives there and -and so-and-so lives there. And and they said, now, right here, don't worry about any of those folks. Those aren't any of our, uh, those are wrong kind of people. And then they said, uh, I said, well, you got a nice van here. I guess you got a nice van ministry to go out and get people. Oh, yeah, we had a van ministry for a while. We don't do it anymore. And I said, really, why not? And they said, well, we were picking up the wrong kind of kids. I said, what do you mean? Well, we went out and we were getting uh, little kids and they would come into the church and they, they did, they'd just run up and down the aisles and didn't know how to sit down and be quiet, didn't, uh, weren't respectful, and all they were coming for was just for the snacks that we gave them in, uh, when we had uh, church. And uh, I said, so you quit having a van ministry simply because you were having a little difficulty with the kids that you were bringing. Yeah, 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 we were bringing in the wrong kind of kids. My mind was pretty made up. And I was being convicted by God to sit there and, and, and deliver a message from God while I was on the interview. And I, I pretty much decided that wasn't where I was going. And I was having a debate with God in terms of whether or not I was bold enough to say some of the things that God was putting on my heart. And I reluctantly did share some of those things. But there are people even to this day they're not just a church like that in a community where they uh, are, uh, you know, they're proud of the fact that they had more white people than most other areas in Mississippi. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, 
And you're missing all those opportunities to share the love of God. All those opportunities to share the, the message of God's love simply because you won't share it with someone of a different color. Someone that's different from you or someone that you're turning them away because simply they've not had an influence of God in their life to the point where they can't they don't know how to act in church because they've never been in church those ought to be the very kids you're trying to reach and for so many people they're the same way they want to reach only the people that are well to do the people that are the the bank president or the CEO of this industry or that, they're all too happy. It's the same. It comes back down to what Jesus was talking about to his disciples when he said, uh, you know, uh, uh, don't go to he, Jesus said, hey, don't go to the head of the table or else you'll be embarrassed by the fact that uh, someone uh, comes and escorts you away because someone of greater uh, importance is is to see uh, to be seated at the head of the of the table, and he said also, you know, hey, uh, don't get all excited about the one who is well to do, as well. You know, don't 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 be just excited about the fact that there are some that might come that are well off. You got to share the gospel with everyone. Um, uh, there, Jonah is, is the epitome of this. He did not want to share the gospel with the Ninevites because the Ninevites were the worst of the worst. The Ninevites would put Nazis to shame, put in, into terms that most people can understand. We all hate uh, what the Nazis did during World War II, and we all know how atrocious those uh, uh, those things that happened during World War II, and usually the worst of the worst are compared to Nazis. Well, uh, if you stacked them up the Ninevites were the Assyrians were worse which is where uh, the Nineveh is is in the, the the Assyrian nation the Assyrians were worse than that they just did awful things to people that they conquered and Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with them other than pronouncing the judgment of God he was eager for them to uh, to be judged of God he just didn't want the grace and mercy of God to be declared to them and he so for that reason, he's now as we see and as we pick up, um, Jonah decides he wants to run uh, uh, from God. And uh, Jonah, uh, so we looked at the first couple of verses about Jonah and his desire not to, to follow after God. And we pick up uh, with uh, Jonah, he's fleeing to the ship. And verse 4 is, is, is where you need to look. He says, But the Lord sent out a, a great wind into the sea. Now Jonah's out there. He's gone down to Joppa. He's gone and boarded a ship to, to uh, uh, Tarshish, which is the opposite direction from where uh, Jonah is being sent to Nineveh. He's trying to... Uh, and more than anything, uh, you know... Jonah could have just stayed there right in Israel and not gone to Nineveh. But what Jonah is doing, he's fleeing from the presence of God. We pointed that out last week as well. But God's not going to let him off. He says, it says that uh, the Lord sent a great wind into the sea where Jonah is and a mighty tempest in the sea so the ship was like to be broken. 
And the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares uh, that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it uh, of them. But Jonah, look where Jonah is. Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So here we have some hardened, seaworthy type of guys, you know, who are... Uh, uh, Men who go out into the. Do you ever think you'd hear "er" in a in a in a sermon? Uh, uh, just you just think of the you know a pirate salty guy who who makes his living on the sea. They're always constantly taking the ship out, and they're shipping products from one place to another, and taking people to from time to time. These guys are out on the ocean. They're not afraid of anything. They've seen it all, and yet God sends a. Uh, a storm that is so great that they're afraid and they're fearing of their life and they're all they've all given up uh, they've done everything they can they've light they're lightening the load of the ship so that uh, the ship will uh, not go down in the sea and in the midst of the storm uh, it's probably heavy laden with with uh, the uh, the stock that they were taking from one place the cargo they were taking from one place to another and they are got they've gotten rid of it so that the ship can ride out the storm and yet in spite of all of that they've reduced them they've been reduced to, to just sniveling men who are praying to their God. Now, what's most, now these guys are not Israelites who are uh, uh, that he's hooked up with in Joppa. They're not uh, people who are uh, men of faith. They are most likely polytheistic, which means they believe in many gods. And they're uh, down there praying, and they're all praying to their God, it's mentioned there. Uh, what you need to understand is, is that most people who were outside of, of the Israel and Palestine at that time were, like I said, polytheistic. They believed in a personal God that dealt with their own personal needs, a God that was a family God, that was the God that was worshipped within their family, within the context context of their home and then there was a god that was the national god that would be like uh, uh, the one that took care of of uh, the crops during the season that would take care of of their people when they were coming up against an enemy that was coming in to evade that kind of thing Um, they believed in many gods also that each person had their own personal god uh, their own uh, personal family god uh, that were separate from the national god and so they were all down and, and on their knees praying to their own personal God, searching for the one sailor, the one person that had the right God that would be able to deal with this situation of the storm that had arisen. Where's Jonah? He's down asleep in the hold of the ship. He's completely oblivious to all of this uh, because, uh, and, and there's many who want to say, well, it's because Jonah is secure in his knowledge of his place with God or uh, Jonah is, is being a foreshadowing of Jesus. You remember uh, in the Gospels it says that Jesus was on the uh, in the boat with the disciples and a great storm came up on uh, the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was found in the hole of the ship asleep. Uh, why? Because Jesus was so confident in His ability to calm the storm. Uh, this is not a foreshadowing or anything like this. This is most likely a... <clears throat> 
an image uh, or a view into what's going on in Jonah's life. Jonah is most likely depressed. Depression causes what? Whenever you're depressed, you uh, go through a phase of drawing in. Now, I'm not someone who's dealt with depression, but I know people who have. And for a lot of people, they uh, deal with uh, uh, internal turmoil in their life because of depression. One of the things that causes that people who go through depression is, is they have a hard time getting up and facing the day. They have a hard time of having any real energy in life of, of and certainly have difficulty facing problems. And people who are going through depression many times will uh, spend a lot of time asleep and in a deep sleep. Uh, now, there are some who say that, that Jonah was going through depression because of what God had asked him to do and the fact that he's running from the presence of God uh, to, to keep from having to be sent to Nineveh. There are others who say, no, this is not a, a view into terms of Jonah being depressed. I, I like them both. I like this and I like the uh, other explanation. The other explanation is, is that Jonah is simply put to sleep by God, uh, that God is, you know, we see in Genesis where Adam is put into a deep sleep in order for God to extract the rib that he then makes Eve from, you know. Um, and the terminology is very similar here to the deep sleep that that Adam was put in to the deep sleep that Jonah is in. And this is uh, viewed by many theologians as the fact that God just simply put him into a deep sleep to create the scenario to then uh, for then uh, he for, to then be exposed to afterwards that God did this to Jonah so that uh, that uh, it would set the scene for what is to come. Well, whatever the situation is, Jonah's in the hole, and uh, it's likely that, okay, most of us, when we think of a ship, we think of a Spanish galleon. It's just the image that comes to mind of a ship that has many levels, that has compartments for uh, the cargo and compartments for the crew and, and places for the stores of those things that the crew will use and those kind of things. That's not necessarily the shape of the ship that we're talking about for the simple fact that Spanish galleons were not invented at this time. But it, they were a seafaring people. They were of people who went out into the ocean uh, and uh, they did use sails uh, as well as oars and rowing and all that kind of thing. Uh, technology in terms of, of seafaring and not uh, was not very different from what we understand today in terms of, of going out into the ocean. So they were uh, most likely uh, out in the ocean far enough for this storm to arise and for they to be worried about uh, the fact that they might sink. And they're doing everything they can. They've been reduced to praying. And here they cut, as they're getting rid of all the cargo to try and lighten the load, they come across Jonah asleep. And, they, and uh, in the flurry of everything that's going on, they, the crew alerts the captain, and it's the captain that comes and wakes Jonah uh, from his sleep. And... Uh, so he's fast asleep, and so the shipmaster, the captain, came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? He says, What are you, 
what are you doing asleep? We're about to die out here in uh, the ocean. He says, get up, rise, and call upon thy God. And if so, be that God will think upon us that we perish not. <coughs> Excuse me. This is significant. Because the words here that are used by the, kept, the captain of the ship or the shipmaster are very similar to the words that God used at the very beginning to call Jonah. God said to Jonah, Arise, get up, and uh, go and do this so that I might spare the people of Nineveh. And here the captain is echoing God and saying, Arise, and call upon thy God, and if so be, that God will uh, uh, think upon us that we perish not. I happen to believe that this is not an accident, that His words are very similar to the words of God when it came to Jonah. I think this is a way of God kind of echoing His words so that Jonah would be convicted of understanding and knowing very quickly that this is the reason why the storm is here is because I told you you need to get it. And God has a way of doing those things too. When God puts something in your heart, He's going to echo throughout your life the instruction He gives you so that you can't, cannot mistake the fact of what God wants you to do. It's unmistakable. It's undeniable. And God's doing this with Jonah to remind him, to, to tell him, hey, that you're supposed to be where? Nineveh, not on the sea. And they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots. Well, one other thing that I forgot to mention. They said, hey, get up. And they said, pray to your God. Okay, they don't know that Jonah is different. They know he's different, but they don't know that he is Hebrew at this time. They don't know that he uh, worships uh, Yahweh at this point. They just simply think that he's like them, has a personal God, has a family God, and a national God. And so they're saying, hey, you need to get up and pray. Maybe your God is the God that can help us through this situation. And so that's what they're saying to Jonah at this point. Uh, but God is kind of uh, echoing His voice within the mind of Jonah, saying, Jonah, you need to remember this is why what you need to be doing is to going to Nineveh, because like these men who want to be saved, there are those who need to be saved in Nineveh, that my wrath might not fall upon them. So they begin to cast lots in verse 7. Now, lots is basically dice. They were basically... Two colors on, on uh, just think of it in terms of dice. And there, lots are used many times to discern the will of God before the Holy Spirit is introduced into the life of people. Even in the New Testament, when they're looking for someone to replace uh, Judas. Uh, the disciples cast lots to determine which of those who had been followers of, of Jesus to, to, make, to fill the place that Judas had, had uh, vacated. So this is a way of trying to determine uh, God's will in their life. And so they're casting lots. And they say, come let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. Verse eight, and then they, uh, and then said they unto him, "Tell us why I pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? 
What is thine occupation? So they're wanting to know what, who Jonah is and what... And did, does it cause you pause to wonder, why are they asking what your occupation is? That's kind of like saying, you know, uh, you're in a car accident. You don't run up to somebody and say, hey, what do you do for a living? You talk about the what they what you know are you hurt what's going on what's go, uh, and all that but it, but what it is is they're trying to discern why the lots fell on Jonah well understanding a person's occupation would tell a lot especially if they if this was a holy man a religious man it might indicate why uh, the gods as their uh, from their understanding would do this. Uh, and they're also wondering, hey, why did you bring all, if this is all your fault, why, what did we do to you that would cause you to, to, to get in this boat with us, to put us in peril in order, uh, just because of what's going on in your life? And so they ask, well, what's your occupation? Where are you coming from? Uh, what's your country? And, and what people are you from? And all of these things would in, uh, point to indications as to why Jonah would be at fault. And so, uh, but they asked these five questions in the midst of all. Remember, the storm's still way, uh, raging, and they ask, "Who are you? Where are you from? What, what, do you, what do you do for a living? What, what's, what's going on?" And uh, so, Jonah said unto them, "I am a Hebrew." Well, that narrows it down a lot. And uh, they understand about the Hebrews. They worship one God. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, uh, which hath made the sea and the dry land. The God of heaven was a term that was used. Now, the Israelites, the Hebrews, were not the only ones who said they worshiped the God of heaven. There were others who believed in deities that they claimed was the God of heaven. But... Um, that is to say, when you say, I believe in the God of heaven, um, where do all the other gods, that all the other nations, where do, they, where do those gods live? Well, they believe all those gods, even though they might be the God of, of rain or thunder, where's the thunder God live? In the heavens. Where does the God who's the God of fertility live? In the heavens. Where does the God who is the God of... Good fortune live in the heavens. Where's the God of uh, the sun live? In the heavens. So if you're worshiping the God of, who is the God of heavens, He's the God who controls where all the other gods live. So it's a way of saying, I, I worship the God who is over all other gods. That's why the Hebrews said they worship the God of heaven. Because they were basically saying, I worship a God who's above all other gods. Um, and he ups the stakes here and says, I'm, I worship the God of all of the heavens. And he's not only the God of the heavens, he made all the seas and the dry lands, everything that you're worried about at this moment uh, that's paramount in your mind. He's the God of all that too. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why? And again, this is comes back, why have you done this? 
They're basically saying, why are you doing this to us? Why would you put us in peril because of something you've done? For the men knew that uh, he fled from the, uh, the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea that may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempered temptuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. So, here's another proof for those who wanted to say that Jonah was depressed. Now Jonah is being suicidal. He's saying, hey, if you want all this to stop, it's my fault. Just throw me... It's like saying, you know, if I was on the side of a cliff, I'd jump off for you, but you can't. So just go ahead and throw me in the ocean. It's it's kind of like saying, Jonah's saying, hey, offer me up as a sacrifice to the ocean and the ocean will stop doing all this because the... And you're all afraid because the ocean's just going like this, like... I'm an Alka-Seltzer. Plop me in and everything will be cool. Everything will calm down. And so Jonah, in those minds of those people are saying, oh, Jonah's being suicidal. I disagree a little bit in the suicidal part. I believe Jonah is saying, look, I know that God doesn't want me going where I'm going. So let me get off of this here boat and... God will put me where I need. Uh, God will take me because I'm not doing what God wants me to do. I will sacrifice myself and at least stop going where God doesn't want me to go. Now remember, Jonah doesn't know that God's going to send a great fish. Jonah doesn't know that God is going to put him right on the banks of Nineveh so that he'll be able to uh, to preach the, one of the greatest revivals ever. All Jonah knows is, is that he's not going where God wants him to go. And for me, I believe Jonah is saying, look, God's caught me. He's the God of all that is. So I would rather die than to go to Nineveh. Throw me in the water. So at least I'll save you. Even though I don't want to go to Nineveh, I'll at least... And Jonah, this is what I believe. Jonah believes that, hey, if I get thrown in the ocean, then I'll die. Then I will be the last step of not going to Nineveh to preach a revival. And so that, that's what Jonah's doing. He's saying, hey, throw me in. And I know all of you have been taught. Jonah's saying, here, I'll sacrifice myself so that, uh, that the ocean will stop uh, going all over haywire and everything. But I, I truly, I, I gain insight in this and studying for this. I, I really believe that Jonah is, is doing one last de- uh, desperate attempt to keep from going to Nineveh by offering to be sacrificed into the ocean. He clearly understands that God doesn't want him going where he's going. And so uh, he's doing what he can to stop uh, from going to Nineveh. 
Nevertheless, look at verse 13. These guys that are in the boat, it's so ingrained in them for survival. They don't want anyone to be sacrificed. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring it to the land. They're rowing hard to bring the ship to shore rather than throw uh, Jonah into the water. But they clearly could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord. Look, now, and this is so much like God, not only will God ring within your mind and your heart when you when God calls you to do something and God wants you to do something and you're trying to avoid it and everything like that, not only is God going to do everything He can to get you to do what He wants you to do, but now He's got these salty sailors doing the very thing that Jonah is refusing to do for the people in Nineveh. They're beseeching God on behalf of Jonah that they would not have to throw him into the ocean. Look at what they do. Uh, they cried unto the Lord, said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. Okay, they don't even believe in God. And yet, they're praying to the God of Jonah. They're praying, saying, hey, please, don't do this. They're pleading for what? Mercy. Grace. The very thing that Jonah doesn't want to give the people of Nineveh. I think this again, (coughs) excuse me, again, is the ringing noise of uh, the ringing voice of God in the mind and the heart of Jonah to say, "Look, these men that don't even believe in me are doing what I've called you to do for the people of Nineveh." Uh, so they've pleaded; they don't want to have the blood of Jonah on their hands. But they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And look, Jonah, in being thrown overboard, God still worked in Jonah's life. What happened? These salty sailors all became believers in God because God ceased the waves and the wind from blowing. And it says, uh, verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and when they uh, and offered sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. So, in the very last verse of, of this little segment, we see that God used Jonah, even used Jonah's disobedience to bring some to know God as... Hey, in terms that we understand today, to bring them to a faith in God, uh, an understanding to, to place their heart in life. They not only 
Look, they didn't just simply offer a sacrifice on the altar to thank God for sparing their life. No, they made vows to God. This indicates that they had a change of heart. They began to be worshipers of God because they saw the power of God firsthand. They saw the grace of God firsthand. They saw God's mercy firsthand because when they threw Jonah into the water, immediately God ceased the waves and the sea. They knew whose power they were praying to. They they knew he had God had the power to do that very thing. And look, if you've been okay. I got a car that sometimes gives me problems. That car when I go to and look, this car for years performed like it was supposed to. But now, when sometimes when I start the car and I go to put it in gear, it, die, it chokes out. When I start it again, sometimes it chokes out before I even have a chance to try and put it in gear. The mechanic said it'll cost you thousands of dollars just to fix it, so, and the car's not worth that, so just live with it, basically, is what they said. So I'm living with it. But there's a little thing in the back of my mind that says if I and when I've started the car and I do it just this certain way, it works right. There's a little thing in the back of my mind that says, hey, if I do it that way every time, then it might work right. We all do that, right? Right. We're not superstitious. We're not uh, we're not uh, uh, we don't believe in, in strange things or anything, but we get. When we see results, we do it all that way every time. Hey, I had my, I had my leg up like this, and I was doing this, and and when I started, it it, it went on, and I, I was able to go on. So every time I go to start the car, I lift my leg, you know, whatever it is that you do, I'm gonna do it the same way, and and see if it works, and and if it doesn't work right. It's not the car's fault now. It's my fault. I didn't do it the way I'm supposed to. Look, uh, these men were superstitious and they believed in all kinds of gods, but they were not superstitious to the point of that. These were not just men that simply said, hey, you know, we prayed to that one God that that Hebrew prayed to and we came out of it okay. They had it. In present day terms, they had a come to Jesus moment. They had a moment in which they realized that all the gods they've been praying to, they never saw any results like when they prayed to the God of that Hebrew guy they threw over. And when they did throw him over, boy, on a dime, the sea stopped. It didn't just kind of subside and flow away. It wasn't like a hurricane came through and and a couple of hours later it got quieter and quieter and quieter and then finally uh, the next day it was calm. No, it ceased immediately. These men had seen a lot, remember. They were men of the sea. They'd never experienced anything like that. They understood the grace of God They understood the power of God. They understood who God was. Unfortunately for Jonah, he'd forgotten who the God of all power was, the God of all grace, the God of all mercy. He wanted 
God to be just simply the God of Israel, the God of the Hebrews. He'd place God in a small box rather than letting God be the God of all that is. We need as a people of God to remember who God is. Hey, God is the one who gives the grace. He's the one who chooses who deserves grace, who deserves mercy. Who are we to say? Which means, as Christians, we ought to be out there sharing the gospel with everyone God brings across our path. Because guess what? It's God who places us in their pathway or them in our pathway. It's God who determines who He places before us. And so we need to share the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God with everyone that God puts before us. Guess what? We're getting ready to see that God even extends grace and mercy to those who rebel. That's the next verse, but we'll get to that next time. Let's pray.